Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune, where we're going to discuss the Minnesota Vikings season wrap-up. We just heard from Kwese Adolfo Mensa and Kevin O'Connell um, from TCO Performance Center in Egan, where they are putting a bow on this season, talking about what it was and what it wasn't. And Ben, I want to get your thoughts just on what we heard from them um, and just the newsiest parts, I guess, that stood out to you. Yeah, I mean, it, the the newsiest things he said probably were the fact that they have had what he called initial dialogue with Justin Jefferson, though a source, uh, can't imagine who, uh, was telling Adam Schefter that there have been no negotiations to this point. Um, also said they want Kirk Cousins back as the quarterback or envision that he'll be back as a quarterback in whatever form that takes, whether it's a new contract or uh, playing out his 2023 deal, and um, no news on Ed Donatel. Uh, Kevin O'Connell said he's still evaluating everything. So those were kind of the big takeaways in a, a press conference where, um, yeah, I mean, you know, the tone they set. You know, Kwesi talked about you know, kind of comparing um, the Vikings to a stock. He got asked that question right off the bat. Uh, what's the stock of the Vikings right now? He said we're... We're a, a growth stock that hasn't quite established ourselves as a, as a blue chip that is well as, you know, uh, one of those long-running companies yet, but uh, we also have a well-established culture. So um, I, uh, I sent a text to my financial advisor and asked, uh, hey, what company would you compare this to, just out of curiosity? He actually said Target because long-running company that has had to reinvent itself online. So local angle covered uh, mm-hmm. from Quasi Adolfo Mensa's analogy with the Vikings and their stock. Target, Target, from what I've seen, has never also won the Super Bowl. Correct. <laughs> yeah, Mike, what did you think about that analogy? And and just and t- you said you listened to this presser too. What did you think? Yeah, I you know it was some interesting stuff from it. I'm sure we'll get into a lot of it. Like Ben said, there wasn't a ton of news out of it. The Donatel stuff wasn't surprising. You figure if even if they've made a decision on that, this isn't the venue that they're gonna break that news because then it becomes all about Ed Donatel and nothing about 13 and four season, nothing about the positives that they feel they're, they're coming out of that with. And they have to answer all the sorts of questions about Ed Donatel. So that was never going to happen today, even if it is still, even if, even, even if it has been decided and I can't imagine why it hasn't been. Um, but yeah, I think that the, the stock answer was interesting. It was, I, I, I still feel like they are um, yeah, maybe kind of, I think I think Kwesi's answer was interesting and in just in that it was kind of indicative of a team that kind of is in a kind of stuck between two worlds almost right now. It's like they, they want to be this team that can kind of establish itself for the long term, but it almost feels like they're, you know, they were almost like a, like he likened it to like a startup that, that experienced kind of some unexpected growth right now. And I just, I, I can't imagine that they're, that their stock line is just going to keep trending upward. They're going to kind of have some some ups and downs here at a certain point. So I, I don't think they quite know what they are yet. I know what they think they want to be, but uh, but year two of this, um, there's a lot to prove in year two, I would imagine. Well, on that initial, I mean, to continue with the analogy, that initial rush of the IPO of, hey, this is this is new, it's exciting, it's, uh, it's different, it's fun, um, that's over. I mean, the, the honeymoon is, is kind of over now. The The fact that they won 13 games was probably unexpected for most people, and I, everybody had a lot of fun with 
the fact that they won that many games in, 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 the, fan, in the fashion that they did with all of the one-score wins. But, you know, losing a home playoff game takes a little bit of the shine off of that. And I don't think anybody would uh, come back in year two if they go, you know, eight and nine or something like that and feel like, hey, there's, there's a ton of sustainable progress here. It's, it's one of those things where it gets late early uh, awfully quickly, as, as Yogi Berra once said. You, know, you go from being brand new and exciting to, okay, now there's expectations, now there's standards you have to hit. And if you're not hitting those, people will kind of change their tune uh, awfully quickly, and those guys know that. So uh, it's not breaking any news to them, but you know that's that's the nature of this job. And, and when you're on four-year contracts, as I believe both of them are, it's um, you know you don't have a ton of time to wait before you start producing substantive results and, and start telling people, hey, I'm I'm <laughs> I should be in line for my next contract. Yeah, Ben. To that point, I found an interesting stretch of this presser was um, Quase getting asked about. The veterans, uh, high-priced veterans they've got, their salary cap situation, and Kwesi kind of weaved and dodged through that in saying that everybody's got these constraints uh, in terms of the salary cap stuff. We'll look at, his quote was, we have a lot of tools at our disposal, extensions and different things like that, where you can get under the cap and so on. And then he was asked about Kirk Cousins, and he said, it's our expectation that he'll be our quarterback. I can't say exactly how that would look. Uh, again, we have everything at our disposal when he was asked about extending potentially Kirk Cousins this offseason. So not a whole lot of clarity from the general manager in terms of these big decisions they've got to face, Ben, but obviously they've got a lot of them to face. Yeah, and I don't know how much clarity you're going to have on that on January 18th. I mean, you know, the, those types of discussions about a, a contract extension would probably happen a month so five, six weeks from now at the Combine, that's where they'll start, and you'll see it play out right before the start of free agency. I mean, we're, we're awfully early in the process for those things to have any kind of conclusion. Um, you know, I, 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 it'll be interesting to see what they do, though, because if you extend Cousins again, you are pushing into the latter half of his 30s. I mean, he'll be 35 in August, and you could certainly do that. You could do what you did last year and, and tack on a couple more years when the Saints played this game with Drew Brees forever. Um, you also don't really have a succession plan in the building for him right now. And it's going to be awfully interesting to see how they handle the next few months. Given the fact they only have four draft picks at the moment, they'll, they'll get a comp pick, maybe two, but they don't have a ton of draft capital at this point. And if you put that on the list of needs, it's, it's not one that necessarily affects you for 2023, but it's also one you're going to have to address in the not-too-distant future. So you know, that question, among many others, is going to be one of the ones to watch in the next few months. Yeah, Mike, um, Kwese did say that we expect Kirk to be back next season. Obviously, he's under contract next season with a no-trade clause. So there's at least more clarity at this point. And then backing him at this point, then backing Kirk, I guess Ben – uh, we know, too, last year that that wasn't totally the rhetoric, at least at this point. They seemed a little bit more open to going different ways. But that contract extension seemed to certainly be more of a two-year deal uh, as opposed to a year-to-year kind of deal. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, we give him a no-trade clause. You're, you're basically making it so that he will have a voice in the conversation. You could still trade him, but he would have to have some input as to where that would be. 
I mean, he would say, I'm not going to waive it for this team, but I will waive it for this other team. I mean, that's, that's how this would go. So it, it's not written in stone that he will be the quarterback in 2023. I would be fairly surprised if he's not. But you know, it was interesting, I think, to your point, that we weren't hearing this last year at this point. In fact, the, the rhetoric on Cousins was fairly lukewarm. I, I think that was the most substantive thing we've heard Kwesi Adolfo Mensa say about Kirk Cousins' future in Minnesota in, in quite some time. And, and I think that probably is a reflection on the fact that they feel good about the way he played the position in 2022 for the most part. You know, I think Kevin O'Connell has been fairly outspoken about that. And I, I think um, you know, I think they feel like they can win with him, you know, winning 13 games certainly lends some credence to that idea. But you also have to win in the playoffs. And that question is still going to be in front of him until he does it. And it certainly will be in front of him heading into 23. Yeah, yeah Mike, um, there's going to be more talk about the O-line than Kirk this time around, probably. Yeah, there is. I mean, f- a final point on Kirk. I mean, one, just being, you know, at a certain point, I feel like you're going to want a quarterback, A, who costs less because you're going to have the Jefferson extension at some point. And B, yeah. the, 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 the quarterbacks, and we've talked about this plenty, the quarterbacks that seem to be the ones that can win in the in the playoffs a lot are these are these quarterbacks who are either just so good and so accurate that they're just you know the greatest of all time like Tom Brady and then, yeah, the other day notwithstanding now that he's in his mid forties but the guys that can make the plays off script Kirk Cousins has never been that when you get into crunch time when you get into fourth and eight for example and you might want to move around a little bit in the pocket or make a play with your feet or make something happen off script. That's not Kirk Cousins' game, and that catches up to you against better teams. And I think that's been a lot of what his struggles against good teams have been in the, in you know in the past. So can Kevin O'Connell reconcile that, especially when they think about how expensive he is? Now, yes, the offensive line is going to be a big question too, because forever for whatever they've invested in this line in draft capital, and we've talked about, it, I think it's either a first or a second round pick each of the last five years, and that was those were the guys that started on the line for the first half of the season, and it was better to a degree but man like when it when push came to shove um they were getting shoved around on the interior dexter lawrence um again he's one of the best in the business but he he wrecked a lot of what they were trying to do in that second half and played a pretty pretty big role in the outcome of that game especially like again on that fourth and eight play so can you get better there can you get better in a lot of places where you know you maybe don't have a whole lot of money or like ben said a whole lot of draft capital to get better and I think that on the Cousins thing, and this maybe ties into the offensive line conversation a little bit too, is you do need a lot of things around him to have him be successful. And this is kind of always one of the things that comes up with him. And the places where you need support are often expensive. I mean, the offensive line, having established offensive linemen who are good at what they do has gotten to be awfully pricey, both at tackle and, and certainly at guard for the higher end guys as well. And you look at what Justin Jefferson's going to make, that's expensive as well. So you have to have a lot of these things around him for all the work. He's not a guy that is going to be able to help himself in the sense of playing off schedule, making plays on the run, making plays outside the pocket. I mean, that's just not going to be any more than kind of an ancillary part of his game. It's just, it's not. I mean, he's gotten better at it by some degree I think but he's not going to turn around tomorrow and be you know Patrick Mahomes or or Russell Wilson or 
you know, somebody like that that makes a lot of plays on the run or, you know, Lamar Jackson, Trevor Lawrence, you know, Daniel Jones. I mean, you know, some of those things we saw from Daniel Jones on Sunday were on a level that we would not see from Kirk Cousins. So, you know, that is the, the way the position has gone. And um, until you have all of those supporting pieces around him, especially on the offensive line, you are going to have a certain level of this can only work, you know, in a, in a limited spectrum of how offenses function in, in 2023. Yeah, speaking of help around Kirk, um, let's get to our mailbag. We have a lot of questions here. Josh asked one saying, the Vikings have one defensive starter in 2022 who they drafted after 2015. Obviously, the 2015 draft, they got Kendricks, they got Daniel Hunter. Um, but since then, it's been pretty bad. Josh wants to know, is that bad luck? Or is that a flawed draft process? Um, what do you guys think? I mean, geez. Well, that, I mean, it's pretty damning, they right? have, they've tried it at corner a lot. I mean, it's been certainly a position where they've invested a lot of high picks, and they haven't had a lot of good results there. Um, how much of that is bad luck? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think you know, Jeff Gladney is a – bigger question in a lot of ways because that stretched beyond football uh, as to what it ended up being that ultimately um, made it so he wasn't in Minnesota anymore and ultimately ended his life. But, you know, how many of those things could you have seen coming? They said they didn't know about them at the time, but yeah, I think that's a, a fair question. And in my cues, it turned out to be injuries. And, um, and Lewis seen so far has been that. Andrew Booth has been that. Um, yeah, so that I don't know how much of that's bad luck. I, I think some of that has been um, you know, maybe in the scouting process you're missing some things. I, I think that's fair to ask at that position. And then, um, you know, they haven't really invested a lot of high picks in the front seven since 2015. So it's it's hard to look at that spot and say they should have gotten a lot out of them simply because they haven't used premium picks at any of those positions really since, um, you know, second-round pick on Eric Kendricks, I guess. Yeah, which is kind of shocking, right, when you think about, you know, so many years of the Zimmer era. You know, they they had taken a lot of defense before that, so the defense was the stronger side of the ball already. You know, you already had holdovers like Harrison Smith, um, you know, Xavier Rhodes for a long time who were, you know, pre-Zimmer picks who were who were solidifying that defense and making it really strong and then adding to it right with Kendrick's bar, um, you know, back in the day. And, you know, Harry, you know other guys. Yeah. yeah, so a lot, a lot of those players – um, but you're right. What Andrew Bynum? That's the only drafted starter that we're talking about this year who who finished the year. I guess that's probably it uh, after 2015. That's uh, that's that's not great. And it was interesting. Um, one of the things Quasey said that was interesting to me that maybe tips their hand a little bit was he talked a lot more favorably about the 2022 draft class than I'm thinking about that draft class right now. You, you know, beyond just the guys who got hurt, he's talking about. Those guys, you know, you've got to have those guys ready to, to contribute. They contribute on special teams. They're going to, you know, talking about those guys being closer to ready to play, you know, defensive snaps, not just special team snaps. Um, and use that term, I think, talent threshold a bunch of times talking about the veterans. So I do wonder if if he thinks somewhat more highly of the players that haven't played a whole lot yet that could maybe see more time next year. But they're, they're definitely going to have to get younger faster and better and more help from the draft because they they you're right ben they haven't done much defensively 
at least on the front seven, to, to help themselves in recent years. Yeah, Ben, uh, O'Connell was asked just straight up, does this roster need to get faster? And he didn't exactly say no. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was interesting. I mean, it's because I think that was one of the things that came out of that game on Sunday. I mean, you saw in spots where there's a lack of speed, particularly trying to get to the corner and being able to, to cut Saquon Barkley off from getting around the corner. I thought it hurt them. I, I thought you saw it in a number of spots in that game where just the, the ability to close, the ability to kind of force ball the ball back inside by, you know, forcing the ball back inside from the perimeter was just not there. And they have not invested in guys that have kind of that elite athletic ability, or at least they haven't had those guys work out, I guess. I mean, Mike Hughes probably would have had that, but it didn't work out. So uh, you start to see that show up, I think, when you get to a point where you're starting a lot of older players and you're not – necessarily putting guys on the field that are at the top of their game in terms of uh, just being able to, to fly around the turf. And I, I think that is worth keeping an eye on. I mean, it, you know, we're getting a, a sense probably still of how this group is going to draft, but the last regime was very high on let's take guys with premium athletic traits. Like, you know, let's take the relative athletic score and, and we're going to make that a big focus in terms of let's get guys who are big, can run fast, that are strong, um, more so than this kind of polished finished product and and it's the same scouting department so maybe they'll take the same approach but i think it's worth keeping in mind how they do there because yeah i, I think o'connell was right on with that with the lack of speed and, and uh if he's saying it now you can bet they're saying it in meetings over the next couple of months mike wants to know what two or three players showed progress this year that gives you confidence that they can continue to improve and I'm sure there are some rookies that come to mind, or at least a couple, but um, the one I'd throw out there right away is I thought Patrick Jones and Flashes showed some things that if whether they continue to run a 3-4 or 4-3, he's now done both and might be somebody that can give them some depth at that spot eventually. You just didn't see the consistency with him, um, but he barely played as a rookie. I thought somebody from that 2021 draft class, it's just important they got anything from those guys um, at least in that third round, and he's the only guy left from those four third-round picks. And I thought he showed something that they can kind of build on, but um, what did you guys think? Any young players that stood out to you? Yeah. <laughs> wow. I mean, it doesn't sound like it. I, um. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think I thought Brian Asamoa showed some stuff, and I, you know, I don't know to the, the degree to which he was – injured in that Giants game. It seemed like he came off early on, on special teams on some play, but he only got four special team snaps in that game after snapping, you know, in the teens and twenties uh, on defense late in the season. So I don't know how much he was affected, but that was a guy whose speed at least I thought maybe could have impacted that game and maybe someone who gives them a little bit of that, you know, at least that athleticism going forward. And, you know, and a guy, frankly, who wasn't a pick and kind of was thrown into action based on, need but duke shelley had a really good season if you look at the passer rating against him when he was targeted i think it was like 55 something like that he was really good i don't know if that's sustainable over a long term if that was just you know a certain subset of games but that, that gives you at least something to think about with some of the other guys they have coming back hopefully from injury yeah ben it didn't sound like you had um any guys <laughs> you were jumping at the bit to talk about 
Well, I mean, Asamoah comes to mind. I mean, Cam Bynum played every snap. I mean, that'd be a guy that you could say can take another step forward. Uh, he had some moments where he didn't look so great in some of those coverage busts. I, I think that's a, a question going forward. Um, you know, K.J. Osborne in spots. I, I don't know that K.J. Osborne is your answer at wide receiver two, but I think K.J. Osborne looks like he could be a really good wide receiver three. Those would probably be the ones that come to mind. But, yeah, sort of that. I mean, Christian Derrissaw, I, I don't know that that qualifies quite the same way because he was a first-round pick. But, I mean, Christian Derrissaw looks like, if you're looking at the last two drafts, 21 and 22, Derrissaw looks like the, the biggest win of those two classes at the moment. But, yeah, in terms of guys that may not be quite that obvious, uh, those would be the other ones that would come to mind for me is Bynum and, and Osborne. All right, Ted wants to know, should the Vikings extend Kirk Cousins to help Justin Jefferson? Now, we talked a little bit about a Kirk Cousins. Yeah, we talked a little bit about the, the Kirk Cousins deal and, and their contract situation with him. But, um, Ben, you referenced, yeah, this being a good question because it does kind of tie in with Jefferson saying if you go with an unknown QB option, do you risk uh, upsetting him or not getting the most out of him, uh, what have you? I mean, what do you guys think about – Ben, what did you think about this question? Well, I mean, it, it's tricky in the sense that, I mean, Justin Jefferson has set up – has set – NFL records in his first three years with Kirk Cousins throwing him just about every pass of his career. So, and Jefferson was much more complimentary of Cousins. I, I think the ways that, that Cousins trusted Jefferson in a lot of big spots this year um, it, it made an impression on him. And I, I think you saw some of the things that he was saying throughout the course of the year reflect that. Now, the question you have to ask, well, I think there are two. It's, can you afford them both? Um, how much longer is Kirk Cousins going to be Justin Jefferson's quarterback? And does Justin Jefferson want to go through the process of playing with a new quarterback? Is he excited by that idea? Is he excited by playing with somebody who's a little bit younger, maybe a little bit more dynamic with his feet? Um, is he worried about the possibility of spending the prime of his career, really? I mean, age 24, 25, 26, 27, something like that with a new guy that may not be as good. I mean, this, this is the, the thing that keeps us coming back to this Cousins question every single year is that he is durable, he is productive, he has shown he is a good NFL starting quarterback. He has not probably shown that he's a great NFL starting quarterback, which means you're always asking this question. Justin Jefferson, I think, has shown he's a great NFL wide receiver. And this idea of how this is all going to work out when they are at such different um, ends of their career is, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure what the right answer is, frankly. I mean, Cousins could play another four years. I, it wouldn't be surprising given his durability and, and given um, you know, how long quarterbacks play in this day and age. But, uh, you know, is he going to be more productive than he is now? Is the next year in the system going to do better? Um you know what's the what's the long term? I mean, you you could have Justin Jefferson here potentially for another eight to ten years, and the odds of Kirk Cousins being here that entire time are not very high. So at some point, you're going to come to this debate about who is the next guy playing with Justin Jefferson, and um, whether it's this year, or two years, or four years from now, you're going to face that question. Yeah, Mike, what what are your thoughts? And I guess I would just add that. 
I don't think – I think guys respect Kirk and certainly respect them a lot more in this locker room than they did maybe his first year here. Um, but I also don't know if you would have to talk Justin out of maybe swinging for the fences at quarterback too. Yeah, I absolutely don't think you extend Cousins again. I think this is – I think you just – I think at this point you kind of know – this is he's played eleven years, and we know exactly what he is right now. Even if I think he made a couple like subtle strides this year in terms of um, you know maybe being willing to take a few more chances or, or put the ball into those areas where you know Jefferson could make a play, but it might be a risk. Like that's that, that's subtle. That that's not not to say it's not important. Not to say it didn't help them win some of these close games, but his his ceiling kind of is what it is, and I don't know if his ceiling unless everything else goes right is, you know, Super Bowl champion. So I, I do think that it's not surprising if he's the quarterback in 2023, but I don't know if, if you do anything beyond that, if you just kind of let that play out and then draft your guy in 2024, I don't know. I don't quite know how you negotiate it because it's tricky because if you keep him, you're probably not going to be a three win team next year and have a really high pick. So what do you do exactly? I just feel like if you're looking at this honestly and your aspirations are a championship, Kirk Cousins is not your quarterback. We've been saying that kind of for a long time now. Well, I was thinking about this. I think Andrew and I were talking about this a little bit today, too. They have not picked in the top 10 since they took Anthony Barr. So, I mean, that that range of where you're going to get the – you know the can't miss guy in the draft is not there. I mean, it's hard. It would hard to. It would be hard to even trade up from that range to get to number one without giving up an awful lot. And until you're picking that low, which I, I don't think they. I don't think the Wilts are terribly interested in doing that. I don't think they want to go through seasons where you're going to win two or three games and everybody's kind of checked out on the present. And the only thing that matters is did we lose enough games to pick number one. Um, I, I just don't think they're terribly interested in that approach, but it does make it difficult because you're not going to win at the level that they say they ultimately want to win unless you have an elite, elite quarterback most of the time. Now, you know, you get the Matthew Stafford type years where it's you have a guy that's good that, that wins it all, and you may get some of those. And Jimmy Garoppolo has been to a Super Bowl. Jared Goff has been to a Super Bowl. It's not impossible, but you have to have a lot of other things go right around you. And when you're picking 19, 20, 23 every year, it's hard to hit on all of that stuff. I mean, we, you know, the 49ers have a lot of years of premium picks. Uh, the Rams have some premium picks. They hit on a guy like Aaron Donald, who's a no doubt about it Hall of Famer. They've got Jalen Ramsey. I mean, you, you have to have that kind of cast around you to win with that type of quarterback. And it is really difficult to maneuver and assemble that and keep it together given all of the constraints that are in place to tear it apart. All right. Neil's got a good question. He wants to know, I'd be interested in knowing the differences between Donatel's defense to Vic Fangio's successes in Chicago and Denver. He says, apart from it, not being very good, of course, he wants to know. Um, oh, he says he's not sure if Kevin O'Connell would have found this Vikings defense very hard to scheme against. Obviously when they hired Ed Donatel, Kevin O'Connell talked about how we're doing this because of how hard this system is uh, on quarterbacks, how much pressure it puts on them and on coaching staffs to prepare for. Um, but obviously they didn't see the results this year. I guess I would just say the big differences that I see is 
the Vikings couldn't generate for much of the season a consistent four-man pass rush. Uh, when Zadarius Smith was on at the beginning of the year, Daniel Hunter wasn't. When Daniel Hunter started coming on at the end of the year, Zadarius Smith was hurt. Um, and then their corners, Ben, you know, like they, they want to play so much nickel and dime and all that, yeah. and just, they don't have good tackling corners, and it felt like they got stuck at times playing base to stop the run and then getting thrown against, and then they would go into nickel and then get run against, like you talked about on the perimeter and that kind of stuff. Um, they just didn't seem to have the personnel or, or really the strong suits that this, uh, that this defensive structure really needs. Yeah, I mean, I, I think when you look at when this thing has worked, um, you know, whether it's the Rams or the Bears at times or you know, the Broncos, there's usually a game-wrecking type player in the front seven that is involved in that, whether it's Aaron Donald or Khalil Mack or you know, some of the guys that the 49ers have had, Alden and, and you know, Alden Smith over the years, a number of the guys that they've had since then, uh, you know, either on that defense or, or a guy like, like Bosa now. Um, different system now for them a little bit, but, you know, Von Miller and Denver. I mean, those types of players are typically part of this, and the Vikings don't have that guy at the moment, at least not. You know, Daniel Hunter may be that guy, but he wasn't this year. And I think when you've seen it work, it's it's having a guy like that that makes it easier to play with a light box so you can either stop the run um, or get pressure with four so that you can devote what you want to coverage. I, I think that's a... I, I would imagine that's high on their list of needs. If they're looking at what can we do with that first-round pick, getting a guy that can be that type of a force in that front seven. I mean, you saw it on Sunday with Dexter Lawrence. He completely changed that game late in the game. And uh, those guys matter an awful lot because they can do things to neutralize quarterbacks who matter an awful lot. Yeah, Mike, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I mean, it was uh, it was hard to hard to watch the defense sometimes this year and as ben was talking i would before he even mentioned hunter i was thinking that's kind of an indictment on hunter because that's kind of been your guy who can do that and maybe you're asking him to do too much mm -hmm. in a scheme that maybe doesn't really fit all of what he does well i mean the biggest things he does well is get after the quarterback and you're asking him now to do more dropping into coverage thinking a little bit more than he had done in previous years but yeah they don't have that guy and kendrick's looked not great in this scheme and he's you know he's a he was another year older that was what year eight year nine for him year eight i guess um yeah, they just didn't eight. have they didn't have that one player you're right who who kind of made you say i got to account for that person or we're going to get pressure or we're going to you know and zadarius smith's injury probably was a you know we talked about it enough during the year but that was probably that the biggest kind of line of demarcation between where the defense was doing enough to get turnovers and get off the field mm -hmm. to where when he yeah. just couldn't get any pressure at all, um, suddenly the secondary is more exposed. Everything kind of fell from there that they just weren't good enough to get off the field. All right, let's close it out with one more question. Um, Russell, or if there's any more that you guys want to get to, we can get it to it quick here. Russell wants to know, do we really believe the team can both be competitive while rebuilding. With no depth on this roster, it seems they are better to go heavy on a rebuild, especially with aging defensive starters. Um, I, I do think that was one of the questions that Kwesi faced of, do you still kind of see this uh, as a competitive rebuild? And he stuck to them being able to do both of these things. And I do think, Ben, you've mentioned this before, but 
I do think the, the success, the 13 wins might have caught them by surprise a little bit um, yeah. with this kind of roster. And you asked, Quase, do you think uh, one score games and success in them uh, is, is kind of translatable from year to year? Yeah, and he, he talked about the winning on the margins type stuff that, you know, he's used that phrase situational masters, I think was the phrase he used, which is, has been a Kevin O'Connell vis-a-vis Sean McVay phrase. Worst Marvel movie I think movie they ever. feel like they have an advantage. Is it, is it wor- worst Marvel movie ever situational masters. Situational masters. Yeah. It does sound like something they would have released lately. That isn't really that good. Sorry. But, go on, please. Uh, the Marvel, the Marvel things have kind of dipped for me, but um, yeah, I, I think they feel like some of that is is repeatable in the sense that they do the right things in those spots and they know how to win close games when there are more of those in the NFL than ever. But yeah, I mean, it's you have to think you're gonna you're gonna lose some of those, and and you have to. And he talked a little bit about getting to a point where you don't always have to win that way. Um, I think it's what everybody would prefer to not need to pull all of these things out, but. Yeah, it's it's hard. I think to do it all. I I just like I've said, it, and Andrew, you mentioned it. I think if you injected them with true serum, I think they would probably say we didn't expect to win thirteen games. We thought, you know, being competitive, nine, ten, something like that, was feasible. But thirteen is an awful lot. So, um, yeah, it, it's a weird spot to be in because now that's the standard. I mean, I think the old Bud Grant line to Mike Zimmer was, "Don't win too quick," because then that's what everybody sets as the bar, and anything you do underneath that will see, be seen as a regression. That's where they're at now. I mean, winning 13 games, everybody expects, okay, that can be the standard. That can be what you do going forward. You know, losing a home playoff game when you have one for the first time in five years takes some of the, the starch out of this whole thing. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard to, to do all of the things they're trying to do when you're not picking high, you're not in a position to go really be competitive in free agency. Um, you're not committing to this idea of let's tear it down and, and come back. Um, you, you have to get a lot of things right, both in coaching and development and player evaluation and procurement. And it just doesn't leave you a ton of margin when you're not willing to say, let's go suck for. <laughs> A couple of years and, and picking the top three a couple times and see what we get. Yeah, Mike, they're not taking the Bears path. No, and I don't necessarily love the Bears path. I mean, that's it's you know you can be stuck in that for five to ten years instead of the one or two that you're hoping for. Yeah. So, so there is that element. But I think Ben made good points. I mean, one being you're not going to be drafting very high if you're kind of in this middle zone where you're trying to have it both ways, and it might influence some of your long term decision making if you're saying. Yeah, well, we were a little bit more competitive than we thought we would be. Maybe we kind of kick some of these salaries down the road a little bit, do a few more extensions than we thought we were going to do. Then you're not really rebuilding. You're just kind of hoping and, you know, kind of trying to get better along the way. So you're not really, if you're not committing to either one, it is hard to pull both of them off. It's possible. I kind of feel like the Wild is kind of doing it right now in a different, much different league, much different environment. Um, can the Vikings do it? I think next year will kind of be the answer. Like they're going to need to commit to one or the other at some point here pretty soon. Yeah. I, t- I talked to Christian Derisaw when they were cleaning out their lockers and he said, I feel like we've set a new standard this year. He said, why not try to build on that? And Ben, to your point, that's where they find themselves. The, yeah. the pressure's on to, to build on that. 
Yeah, it is. And it's one of those things that I think you win that much and, and you're picking as late as you are. It, it is – nobody's going to turn it down. And I think this year in some ways did show that – I mean, they got a heck of a lot out of a roster that I, I don't think most people would have looked at and said that's a 13-win team. I mean, right. winning games in the manner that they did. I mean, everybody's talking about being frauds. Um, okay, but, you know, you still have to – when they pick one team at the end of a game to be the winner and you do it 13 times, that still – counts for something whether that's when you're saying frauds it may not be sustainable but in those settings it's like what are you supposed to do give the win back i mean nobody's going to do that so um i i do think it's a credit to them that they were able to pull out as many of these games as they did by doing a lot of the right things at the ends of games so you build on that and you hope you can do it again but yeah it's it's tough because you have not taken the path that allows the rebuild part of this to happen very easily so um, it it puts pressure on but you know I think they understand that and and realize that that's going to be there it's just going to be part of the story now on that note that'll be it for this episode of the access vikings podcast thank you for checking it out and being with us all season we will be with you throughout the off season as the vikings Make these changes, and we'll be here to talk you through all of them. So please check out all of our work at StarTribune.com in the meantime.